welcome to The View from the North Curve, a podcast covering all things North Curve Celtic. I'm your host, Kev. A big thanks to everyone for tuning in again. I hope we're all keeping well. The last time around, we continued on with a wee series that we've been doing on the 40th anniversary year of the 1981 hunger strikes. We spoke with Tommy McKerney. I hope we all enjoyed that. Listening to Tommy speak was brilliant. Another uh, big thanks again to him for taking the time to come on. And now we are back with you to touch on a subject that's hot topic within the support and the club at the minute. First up though, if I can just give a wee quick update to our membership on a few things that have been happening. It's been a good start to the season. A right wee sort of buzz about what we've been doing. New membership signups have been going great. We're now up to a grand total of 955 members, which is the most that we've ever reached. So that's been superb. We've got some dialogue ongoing with the club at the minute and some requests made. And with those sort of numbers that we've got behind us, it carries a good bit of weight and really, you know, helps the boys that are in these meetings with Celtic and stuff like that. So a big thanks again to everybody that's been signing up. Uh, we had our first TIFO that everybody, everybody sorry, would have seen. First TIFO of the season, which went brilliant. A lot of the, the new members that I'd mentioned there rolling up the sleeves and helping to sort it, which was, was again great to see. We also had our first members meeting the other week, which went really well. It was a cracking turnout. And next up, uh, in the pipeline, we're, we're pencilling in uh, for a toy collection, a sort of toy drive that we're, we're wanting to do in the lead up to Christmas. So just to tell everyone, you know, we're pencilling that in just now for start of December time, one of the one of the home fixtures run about then. So I just did to tell everybody, tell the membership to stay tuned into the, the usual channels. Um, for updates on that and, and other stuff going forward. So now I need a, a swig of my beer. That was a a long one. Um, on to this episode, I'm joined once again with Paul, who you may be recognised from previous episodes where he's been on. He's back on with us to speak about, as I said, their hot topic, Bernard Higgins. Paul, big thanks. For taking the time out again to come on. How have we been, mate? All good? Aye, all good, mate. Cheers for having us again. People have been getting bored to hear them for me. Um, but aye, all good. So I'm just off the phone there, actually, to one of your boys, uh, who we all know has been having a bit of a tough time this week. So he seems to be doing a wee bit better, which has got me in a good mood. But I still wanted to send a quick message to him to let him know that we all love him. You know what I mean? That we're all here for him no matter what. And that... We can't wait to see him again when the time comes. Nice one. No, that's top, mate. That's good. So, Paul, Bernard Higgins, um, do you want to sort of come in, mate, and just let everybody know why he's hot topic amongst the support in the moment? Aye, I mean, I'd rather not. I'd rather that we didn't have to <laughs> talk about this, to be honest, mate. But unfortunately, the situation has dictated that. Um, so, listen, I'm sure everybody, or most of the people who will be listening to this will have read the statement now. Um, they'll be aware that there's, there seems to be a strong likelihood 
that Celtic are due to appoint Bernard Higgins as, uh, you know, security chief. I don't know what the job title would be, but basically is a replacement for Ronnie Hawthorne, who's aging towards retirement. Um, and clearly it's got the support angry. It's got people frustrated, people fucking confused more than anything else as well, I think. People can't understand why this man would even be in the frame for a job at our club. Um, but I guess the, the kind of point to cover might be a little bit about how we came to hear about this um, and, and try and explain a little bit about some of the early steps we've taken. Would that be fair? Well, definitely, mate. I, um, I'll just let you kind of take the floor with it. I think a lot of the support, obviously, I've seen mm-hmm. what's been happening, to be the, even the likes of the display and the protests and stuff that happened at the weekend and... Uh, I can let you just come in and maybe tell those who are, you know, maybe know who Bernard Higgins is, but Aye. don't know, you know, his, his roles and different things and what's been happening. I mean, what I'll start with, mate, is a little bit about, I mean, you, you touched on it when you'd done the introduction about the kind of engagement with the club. So I had met the club as, you know, a kind of representative for the Green Brigade, uh, you know, like a, a month or so ago, I, I can't remember, maybe five, six weeks ago now. And we'd had what were quite encouraging uh, discussions with the club, you know what I mean, when they're talking about trying to rebuild the fan relationship, trying to uh, help us with some of the kind of practical issues, it help us to kind of manage the curve on a, a match day. Um, and at one point, uh, one of the kind of Celtic uh, representatives, one of the lawyers, asked, what can the club do to repair the relationship between the fans and the club? Because I think they re- realise well, as anybody, that the last 18 months has been a disaster, that they're the ones who've uh, damaged the relationship between the, the club and the support. And they were, and, and I don't doubt their sincerity, by the way, in terms of the people who were in the meetings, but they were genuinely trying to figure out how can we go about fixing this, how can we repair it. Um, and we came out that meeting, you know, pretty buzzing, you know, like a lot of stuff agreed, a lot of stuff to build on. Obviously, still structural issues in terms of the way the club run and, and stuff we we'll always disagree on. But there were positives that we could, you know, work towards again. Uh, and then within like a few days, maybe a week of that meeting, we started to get word. It was really from extremely credible sources that we knew that uh, Bernard Higgins, who's assistant chief constable at Police Scotland, was was being lined up to take a job now. To be fair, we'd heard what murmurs about this beforehand. Um, it's one of the ones, it's like so ridiculous that you you just don't believe it or you, you don't want to believe it because it's so stupid. It's 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 such a, an incredibly, you know, poor decision from, from any angle you want to look at it. So I think we, we didn't really want to believe it at first, but basically word was getting out that um, that Higgins' own family, uh, you know, were, were basically telling anybody who'd listen that he would uh, was about to take the job when he finishes up overseeing COP26. It's obviously going on right now. Um, so what we decided to do was just be honest. So when when we'd spoken with the club mate about you know some of the issues that I mentioned and trying to work with them together, what we had, had said is you know we'll, we'll be honest with each other. Like if you've got a problem with a group with an off curve, whoever come to us directly, you know what I mean, don't be running to the press, don't be doing some of the snide things you've done in the past with revoking access, and it's like, we'll, we'll do the same, if there's issues that we think you can deal with, we'll come to you first, rather than 
you know, running straight to statement wars on the BBC yeah. and the huddle board, you know, we'll, we'll try and deal with it like adults. Um, so we went in again uh, to another meeting. I, I think it was two weeks after the first one, and uh, or maybe three weeks. And we went in and just really laid our cards on the table to say, look, you're the ones who've sat and spoke to us about, you know, rebuilding fan relationships, about rebuilding trust. But how could you possibly sit at the other side of that table with a straight face and talk about rebuilding trust when you all know that Bernard Higgins has been lined up uh, as our potential head of security? Um, and, you know, we, we went through it for a long, long period of time. And what I can say as well is that we left them in absolutely no doubt about how appalling an appointment this would be, about how insulting it would be to the supporters who suffered under the hands of Police Scotland and how terribly it would get in with the wider support. And I don't know if um, if, if they didn't believe us or if they, they're just so out of touch with the, the support that they didn't understand the impact that this would have. Um, but we've obviously felt that we would give them the opportunity to either, you know, rebuke it and say, no, of course we're not going to hire this dafty. You know, why, why on earth would we employ this clown? which is what you're kind of hoping they would do. Obviously, that's not happened. Um, and we went back to them and basically said, look, I've been chasing them up, uh, you know, every few days for, for a couple of weeks, uh, and they were just refusing to, to, to properly respond. But within that meeting, they, they pretty much acknowledged, uh, you know, kind of subtly that not only was he in the running, but that he was almost certainly the, the, the favourite for the job. So... That's why, you know, we went away, we've discussed what the options are in terms of, you know, what's your next step, because we've been clear that when we were quite Celtic at the time, that if he's brought in, um, you know, any talk of rebuilding relationships with the fans, that's done. You know, any relationship you build between now and him being appointed is built on quicksand because it's not going to last the second he steps through the door. Um, but also we made the point that we'll be campaigning against him ferociously, as well as anybody that we deem responsible for his appointment. Um, they've obviously not come back to his way. I'm going to say they've not come back with anything positive. They've not come back with anything. They've just refused to engage on it. Seemingly, they've done the exact same thing in the, the fan forum meeting, whereby Michael Nicholson apparently just sat and you know refused to comment on it. I heard the Homeboys podcast talking about that. They said that he just refused to engage on it. So clearly, this is a, a very real threat. Um, so it speaks volumes in itself, doesn't it? Ah, yeah, but and that's the thing. Like you know, it, if it was just a normal appointment, what Nicholson would say is, "I has been considered." So what? Yeah, you know, like if it was anybody else, like the, for a job like that, that's largely behind the scenes, it's not particularly, you know, high profile in, in some ways. It, you know, he would just say like, "I we, we're considering a number of candidates. He's one of them." So what? Um, but the fact that. Uh, you know, he's he's not been able to, to, to even say that. tells you that they're beginning to be fearful, I think, of the, the supportive reaction. Um, and from then, word was obviously filtering out to the other groups. You know, they were hearing the same stuff that we were hearing. That was getting picked up. And it got to the point that, you know, we've all had to get around a table. Um, maybe not in person, obviously, but we've all had to have these discussions to think, right, what can we do to try and stop this? Because this is... A, an insult to the support, but B, it's a threat to elements of the support, specifically the likes of the North Curve. 
Yeah. And just to sort of quickly add in as well, mate, you touched on there, um, I think you'd mentioned specifically about the role that he would be coming in as head of security, just for, you know, anybody listening in, that's currently at the moment uh, occupied with Ronnie Hawthorne. Mm-hmm. Aye, so Ronnie Hawthorne's been there about eight, nine years now, uh, something like that. Um, yep. So, I mean, the thing is, Ron- Ronnie Hawthorne's obviously an ex-police officer as well. I'm sure that Ronnie Hawthorne has a very different worldview for, you know, us and, and people in the club and stuff like that. But what I would say about him is that, by and large, you're going to meet him and it's like relatively sort of respectful. Like, you, you know, it, it's... You can at least believe most of what he says. You know, you, you don't think that he's deliberately trying to run the group out of the section. But Bernard Higgins, a, a totally different kettle of fish, and I think it's maybe worthwhile explaining to somebody, especially some of the younger supporters who maybe didn't, maybe when they gone to games home and away throughout the period of the Offensive Behaviour Act, just how much damage this guy done to the lives of Celtic supporters, and and, and people really need to know about that um, if he's going to be coming into this role. So, Paul, you touched on there, mate, about, you know, maybe younger boys within the support that, you know, weren't around when the, the Offensive Behaviour Act and all the stuff that we had to get through, you know, not just home support, but around in the country with the away support and the policing. And, uh, you know, maybe I could let you come in again and, and sort of fill him in as to who Higgins, or sorry, what his roles in the past have been with the, with the police and, you know, in terms of specifically with the football and different things like that. Aye, aye, of course, mate, no bother. Um, I mean, it's worth just kind of going over like, Higgins' own kind of personal history and the role he's played throughout all this. Um, I mean, as we've said, so he's been Assistant Chief Constable of Police Scotland now since 2013. Um, and within that role, he's been responsible specifically for operational support. Uh, so for football in particular, he's been Scotland's uh, strategic lead for football since about 2011-2012 when Police Scotland were amalgamated into the one nationalised police force. Put in sort of simple terms, uh, Bernard Higgins, more than any single police officer, including Stephen House, who was the head of Police Scotland, Higgins has been responsible for operational decisions on how football is policed in Scotland, and particularly how the Offensive Behaviour at Football Act would be implemented. Um, so he has been the one that's always made the calls about the implementation of laws um, regarding football. Now, he can I put this in perspective? So when uh, the law first came in in 2012, you know, after a couple of years, there was some research done by University of Stirling researchers into how the law was acting and so on. Uh, and one of the one of the participants of that was just like a normal officer who was taking his orders from Higgins and his cronies, um, who was dictating how officers were to behave when it came to football in the language that the we officer used to describe what they were told to do, how were they, they were told to approach police and football fans is with a tactic of shock and awe, which meant which was the exact same terminology that the American military used for how they would uh, enter the ground invasion of Baghdad, just to put into terms of how they were trying to treat fans. What they intended to do for the very, very start was to use heavy-handed tactics to break the will of football supporters to prevent fans from continuing to oppose this legislation um, and to use it to harass, intimidate, 
criminalise young football fans. Um, and that's something that they've done over a period of seven years and beyond. Um, in, in, in really like practical terms, like you'll remember yourself, mate, we could sit here and we could have done it a little bit on you know one of the previous podcasts when I was on yeah. campaign. You know, we could come on here and, and trade fucking horror stories for hours and hours. And I'm sure that there's plenty of boys listening who who either have exp- direct experience of that or, or they'll know other fans who experienced it. Um, but Higgins was at the top of the chain here. So in terms of all the strategic decisions for the top down, he was directly involved in them. So for example, when it came to like the Friday morning Don raids that were deliberately designed to ensure that fans were terrified about getting arrested on a Friday morning because he would be held not till the next day, but until the Monday over the weekend. That would have been a decision that Higgins made. The tactic of Kettling fans, that would have been Higgins. Other things like encouraging uh, police officers like Eddie Smith to report Celtic to UEFA for them to be punished. That would have came from the top down. Other things like attempting to, you know, again, we spoke about this before, I think, but attempting to recruit fan informants, you know what I mean? Going to normal supporters who hadn't even necessarily been charged, never mind convicted, and offering them incentives to grass on their fellow fans. Um, and when Higgins was asked about this on Sky News, he, he went off in some totally bizarre rant about organised crime and terrorism. And it just yep. tells you what this guy's mindset was. That was the category in which he put football fans when it came to policing. He's seen us as this massive potential criminal threat. And he was utterly authoritarian in how he planned to deal with it. Um, but he also, I mean... Everything really stemmed from the top down. So the widespread use of banning orders before MD had even been found guilty, that would have been the decision that he was involved in. And then even down to the kind of issues that, that, that came up, you know, throughout the years of other police officers who get away with fucking murder. So you'll remember yourself, Kev, like Tommy McCrindle, yep. where he was, you know, gloating. Best control. Pest control, basically referring to fans as vermin, had his job title as termite and pest control, and he got away without being properly disciplined. Eleanor Murdoch, who perjured herself in court um, without being uh, removed from her position in any way, um, and she lied in court to get two Celtic fans done. And listen, we'll, we'll, we'll no doubt potentially get into some of the horror stories and what it was like through that period of time, but what people need to understand is at each point, these decisions were taken by the senior officers and there was nobody more senior when it came to police and football fans than Bernard Higgins. And Paul, I think, you know, it speaks volumes in itself that isn't, we'll, we'll touch on this point in a wee bit, you know, I get sort of bogged into it just now, but the, the display and the protest that happened within the curve at the weekend, I, I thought personally that it spoke volumes, you know, the reaction for the the rest of the support and the rest of the ground because, you know, you can come on here and, and speak about how, you know, specifically young boys, I'm sorry, young football fans' lives have been affected and really, you know, ruined uh, with this guy's reign at the, his position that he was in with the police. But I thought at the weekend it spoke volumes of reaction to the rest of the support because it's just game-going terms. It's just folk that will have went through all those years of, you know, maybe it was just filming, maybe cunts pissed off with filming or, you know, a lot of the support of No Doubt went through more stuff um, and the harassment and, and what it was like 
to be a football supporter, to be following Celtic home and away eh, over his sort of tenure, even still, you know, still feeling the effects of it. Aye, I mean, it's one of the ones, mate, like, obviously I was heavily involved in the fat campaign, so when an issue comes like this, up like this, like, aye, you're raging, but sometimes you're that close to it, it's a wee bit difficult to kind of gauge how everybody yeah. else is going to react, but the truth is that I shouldn't have been surprised by the reaction, mate, because you, you, you've kind of hit the, the, the nail on the head yourself, so see four people that, that follow Celtic, go and support buses, go to away games, um, even a lot of people who maybe just go mainly home games, there can't be many people in our support who don't have at least one story of somebody that they know, somebody that they were close to, go down their bus, whatever, who had their lives turned upside down uh, by Police Scotland and by the offensive behaviour at Fit Black. But I mean, we've obviously got loads of stories because of our involvement in the group. Yeah. But I dealt with, like, over the course of the act, I probably dealt with hundreds of fans all in, you know, and, and most of them are just ordinary punters, you know, that, that go on their, their bus to away games, um, that generally just keep to their cell, but just were in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, and they've been targeted by Higgins and his boot boys. And people don't forget that, you know, that sticks in people's minds, the damage it was done to people. You know, I, I, I've, I've spoken about this at length before, but, I mean, there, there can't be too many people with a kind of more intimate knowledge of the damage that was done to people's lives than, than those that were involved with FAC. And, I mean, we, we've seen it, like, umpteen times, you know, people who potentially lost their jobs, people who had their names dragged through the mud in the national press, uh, people who suffered different degrees of mental health breakdowns, people who, you know, even like people who were banned awaiting trial, Football's their life, you know, it means yeah. so much to people. So when you get banned, you get isolated for your social circle. Um, and all of this damage that was continually done to people, you know, people's lives really put on hold. When, after, say, two years, two and a half years, whatever it might be, to get to trial, people were found not guilty, and that's generally what happened. It didn't undo any of that damage that had been done by Higgins and his pals. So really, uh, as I say, like uh, admittedly, I was a bit surprised, but I shouldn't have been any reaction at all. I think, like yourself, Paul was one of the ones that was, you know, about going to games home and away back then. And as you say, it was just a kind of fear that went alongside it because it was happening. And it wasn't, I was probably guilty that keep saying, you know, young boys maybe getting the jail and stuff like that, but it wasn't, it was, mm-hmm. it was, everybody, you know, young guys, girls, older boys, you know, just for instances of police going on raiding buses and, you know, maybe just taking a disliking to somebody. And after one of the instances for an old supporters bus that I went on, boy parked off, I think maybe get try to get done with a breach of the peace just because the police on the day took a disliking to him. Um, I think maybe answered the back a wee bit cheeky or something stupid like that, but you know, we're we're probably in the circles that there was a lot of instances, you know, you can look back to all the stuff that we went through, but your average Tim that'll be listening to this, there's no many of them that can, you know, say that they they're what's the word to use, they're no aware of what went on back then or they've no went through anything like that. I mean it was unavoidable, you know what I mean? Like I, I understand that, you know, like 
being part of an altered group is one thing. Yeah. But literally the full support was targeted. I mean, you mentioned, you met, sorry, you mentioned there about the Don Raids. Like, I mean, get out and, you know, no starting my work day at eight o'clock in the morning, but having to leave the flat at fucking half four in the morning, just so in case, you know, I've been, I've, you know, some police is sitting watching CCTV that says, I he'll do. Let's, let's put his door in about half six and we'll get him for the weekend. And you, you um, were probably sitting with me. <laughs> I mean, that, I, mate, look, we would all be in the chat and all that, talking about it. I remember, like, I'd have been doing my undergrad at uni for the first couple of years of the act. And I remember, like, I would, on like, Friday mornings, I would go and sit at the kind of back right corner of the lecture theatre because it was next to the fire exit. So if they crossed in the, the door, I could get myself a dodge um, and try and deal with it another day. But, but I mean, it's funny now, right, because you can laugh about it. Um, but, like, think of the sort of the psychological scars that was having on people. You were having to, like, go and, like, warn your whoever you live by, you know what I mean, your mom, your dad, your missus, whoever it might be, going and warning them, uh, like, uh, I've not done anything, but there's a yeah. chance that the police are going to be here kicking the door in at six in the morning, and oh, here's which day they, they do it, but we all had to have those conversations. Um, and you're trying you're try to say to your mom, uh, you know, don't let them in, don't give them any uh, information, right. don't, and they're looking at you as if, like, what have you done yet, then you're still trying right. to say, no, listen, I've not done anything, but... This mm-hmm. is what they're going to try and do. Folk that haven't had, you know, the majority of folk that haven't had any dealings with police or been into any bother in their, in their puff type thing. I mean, that, that was probably the one sort of pattern, I would say, of when I was kind of helping people with FAC. And it didn't matter if it was Green Brigade, didn't matter if it was Celtic fans, Motherwell, Hearts, Hamilton, or even some Rangers fans. The one thing that generally tied people together was that they had no experience been arrested, no experience in the criminal justice system, that they just happened to be picked out a crowd, um, or dragged out of bed, dragged out of stand, and fired through the criminal justice system, no knowing what was what had hit them. Um, as you say, I know, Paul, you touched, sorry, mate, you touched on earlier about you know just the tactics that have obviously came for the tap down, and obviously came for guys like Higgins and senior positions doing whereby. They're looking for folk to grass on their mates, and but is that sort of shock tactic? You know, grabbing a young boy or whoever out their bed at five o'clock in the morning, and then you know probably absolutely shitting his cell into the, the cells into the office, and then turning around and maybe saying, "Oh, listen, we'll we'll let you go here if you know it's all right, me and you. You know, you know the script of the police and what they're all about, but." You know, for maybe some wee boy that's never been involved with football or anything like that or any bother in the past, and they're saying, "Oh, you just tell us where this boy is, and we'll let you, we'll let you go." Type thing. Mate, there was there was one week. I mean, there's loads of stories I could get through, but there was one wee guy. Actually, so it was two wee guys who get arrested at a Hamilton Motherwell game, kind of local Lanarkshire derby. Yeah. And two Hamilton fans, and they get arrested on. It was either the Thursday or potentially the Friday they were playing each other and they get arrested for singing well, well, fuck your well. They arrested for singing that, right? And they didn't even get taken, so they couldn't get taken apparently to the local police station. They get took to Greenock Prison, mate, with fucking grown men, like fucking prisoners, mad villains, flung in with them at the deep end and held there till the Tuesday morning before they could get to court because it was a bank holiday. Um... Sorry, we had a Reka Boys uh, script as well for you can shove your fucking camera up your ass. 
during the filming. Yep, I mean, so there was that, shove your camera up your arse, there was one boy arrested for holding a banner that depicted a zombie, one member who went up to a copper and asked him, is there a problem here, officer? And the copper turned to him and said, did you just call me a fucking prick? Um, And then when he jailed up, so this happened just outside the grun, but when he went to jail and he didn't cuff him until he got him inside the grun, because it would be easier to apply for a banning order if he said the arrest happened inside the stadium. Um, other ones like, like the Roll of Honor, you know what I mean? A song that reached the top 40 of the charts that was played by Jamila Jamil, uh, live on the radio, who I don't think got arrested over it, but when some of the other boys sang it, they certainly did. Um, banners that had to go to the police. There was some, there was a Rangers fan who got arrested for holding a banner that said Axe Act. Um, and I understand that for a lot of people, particularly kind of non football fans, a lot of people would look at you know, the, the football and they've got a preconceived notion of what it is and a lot of people, you know, wrongly, certainly, but it's still a, a, an understanding that people might have is that, look, if you're loading anything wrong, you've got nothing to worry about and if you've been arrested, uh, it's because you deserve it. But I think this act, more than any other law, um, and Scotland really demonstrated that, see, if you give the police power to arrest people, um, then they will use it to its nth degree. They will... Uh, go out their way to ensure that they're arresting as many people as possible and they'll apply it as viciously as possible. Now, it's one of the ones, like, I've obviously been really critical of the act itself, right, and I think it was terribly drafted. Um, I think that it was poorly thought out and I think that it was always going to be a problem because it was a bad law, but it didn't need to be as bad as it was. And one of the reasons that it done so much damage to people's lives is because guys like Bernie Higgins were at the top pulling the strings, demanding that people were arrested for these stupid offences, demanding that coppers charge screw doors at six in the morning to cause maximum damage to people's lives and demanding um, that cases were dragged out so that people did suffer uh, in the way that they did. And it's because of that, mate, I, I know I sometimes get a wee bit sort of emotional and passionate when I can I talk about this, but it's because I seen it firsthand. You know, some of my, my closest mates, I seen them lose their jobs, I seen their lives get turned upside down. And see the thought, uh one of the kind of main pricks who was responsible for that damage being wrought on our support. See the idea of him sauntering about you know a UEFA draw in Geneva with a club suit on, with a tie on, smiling for the sky cameras. It makes me fucking sick to the pit of my stomach. Um, and it's so important that people, whether they were around or no, really grasp how severe this issue is now. So, Paul, obviously, listening to you speak there was, you can tell how passionate and how, obviously, angry, like myself as well, and like mm-hmm. so many other people will be if, if this kind of transpires that he's coming into this role within the club. But just to kind of get back, we're obviously wary of time and we're no want this to kind of drag on this episode to drag on for everybody but the likes of the protests that happened at the weekend there within the block and the, the display of the banner and the silence was that sort of took or the decision was that kind of made so quickly for the you, were, you know mentioning there about the group's dealings with the club and the, the rumours starting surfacing about Higgins you know maybe as short as two or three weeks ago and obviously for that protest and everything to have happened in such a short space of time is that testament, you know, to how angry the group boys are and the Green Brigade boys are 
uh, over the whole thing that something like that has been called so quick off the bat? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a fair point, mate. Obviously, we had to go and speak to the other groups and, and it became apparent that they'd been hearing some of the same things and we were all kind of quickly on the same page. And it's one of the ones, mate, like, the timing of it was awful because clearly, you know, I mean, it seemed as though the team had started to, to turn their it just got on a wee bit of momentum, wasn't it? Yeah, you know, I mean, like that first maybe 40 minutes at, at Hibs, we were fucking lightning, man. We were... Really, like, it was the best we played in, in, in years. Um, and you really want to buy into that positivity. And I don't know a single Celtic fan that doesn't desperately want Ange to do the business and get us playing this exciting football and, um, you know, get us charging back up that table. And things were starting to come together. You know what I mean? Like, it's really starting to feel a bit more optimistic and enthusiastic about what's going on in the park. So when this comes, man, it's a gut punch. You know what I mean? And the decision... Typical, I, typical Celtic fashion, just to put, put the yeah, brakes man, on it. I was Celtic all over the fucking back, mate. And uh, like nobody... It's one of the... I think it's important that people understand that these decisions are never taken lightly. You know, like, we care so much about the team and performances on the park and... There's no way that we would ever do anything that would potentially undermine that unless it was really something that was so serious and so pivotal to the supporters. Um, but when we spoke to the other groups, it was unanimous. You know, it, it was people understood, like, look, what we want to be able to do is get in and give the team that back and go in and sing for 90 minutes and give them that visual and vocal support that they're used to and that the stadium is so famous for. But at the same time, we're not performing seals. You know what I mean? We we don't sing on command. Um, and it was quickly apparent that we realised we have to do something drastic. You know, you have to do something that's going to grab attention to force this issue to the forefront right away. So as much as I, you could maybe do a protest outside the stadium, but that's been a wee bit overplayed early. People are a bit bored of that. Ah, you could do banners, but we have banners about different things most week. It just, you know, sort of becomes background noise. And really, you know, it's almost a sort of form of strike, isn't it? You know, it's what do we bring to the stadium? We bring the kind of vocal and visual support that people are used to. And if you withdraw that for a short period, it's something that will automatically really focus people's attentions on the issue um, that, that's at the root of your protest. So when we announced that, I mean, it went around, obviously, uh, FAC announced Higgins right away first. It sped down Celtic cyberspace. It became, you know, one of the kind of key issues fans were talking about, and people were pretty much unanimous in their anger about it. But then when we announced the protest, you know, it ends up front page of the Daily Record on the Saturday before COP26. You know, arguably, you know, one of the biggest events that Glasgow has ever seen and, and will ever see in our lifetimes. Yet front page of the uh, biggest national tabloid is us protesting against Bernard Higgins. So it's certainly done its job in terms of grabbing attention. Um, and the reaction to it, as we've spoken about, I think demonstrates the strength of feeling it's out there because you could hear, you could hear it, mate, that full stadium booing when they seen that banner on because they were sickened by the sight of his face 
inside Celtic Park. And then the what was that? I thought a really sort of emotional, vociferous, blaring rendition of Let the People Sing that was really directed at the Celtic board um, as it echoed around Celtic Park. And I, I think it was as clear a message as you'll ever get. Um, so I, I'm delighted with how the protest went. Obviously, I was gutted that we, we couldn't get a win, that, you know, Big Jack and Marcus, for some reason, goes up and hits the worst penalty you've ever seen in your life. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, the, the team's performance was really separate for the fans at the weekend. You know, we, we just didn't really turn up. We didn't move the ball quick enough. And um, hopefully it's just a, it's something that we can, you know, the team gets better at playing against kind of packed defences and so on. Um, but from a fan point of view, I think the message was loud and clear. Um, you know, moving from a silence into a big, loud burst of anti-Bernard Tiggins songs, let the people sing and backing the team. Um, but I think what's important to mention as well, mate, is that and this is a point that we made to Celtic. This isn't a one-off, you know, like I um, the protest went well, but this is just the start. Uh, and the, the Celtic board need to understand that that the strength of feeling against this guy isn't something that's going to be, um, you know, shooed away by a bit of clever PR uh, or, you know, some Twitter announcement about Anthony Galston getting a new contract. This is something that really goes to the heart of, and you know, it's someone who represents an attack on our support, on our values, and really who we are uh, as a community. And no amount of either you know, as I say, Twitter PR or hiding from it, from the Celtic board, is going to make us move on from this. If they don't respond uh, and, and, and first of all tell us what's going on, um, but secondly tell us that hopefully he's not getting the job, then these protests will continue and they'll escal- escalate in kind with every single one. Sort of moving on for that and kind of wrapping up a wee bit, Paul, we you know, going forward, A, if the club obviously appoint him, or, you know, B, if they come out soon and, and you know, say that that was never the never the case or, or anything like that, but what do you think supporters are, we can expect for not just fan groups and not just like the North Curve or, or specifically the Green Brigade or any other sort of protests or anything like that going forward, do you think? I mean, it's as I say, like it's important that the club understands that this isn't going to be a one-off, um, and you know, like Celtic support throughout its history has always come up with really creative ways to uh, protest, to rebel, and um, to kind of um, fight against the powers that be. And I've got absolutely no doubt in their ability to to do that again here. Um, so it's one of the ones, you know, it'll be building week on week. I'd imagine the supporters groups will have plans for uh, games coming ahead and, and other different things. One of the things I would say as well is I'm sure there's, there'll be ideas being kind of mooted of how the supporters can get involved. The broader Celtic support can make their voice heard. Um, and hopefully we'll have a few things to announce in that front relatively soon. Um I mean, you've made two point there about what if he doesn't. I, I was speaking to somebody about this the other day. I was you know, handing out a leaflet actually on, on Saturday uh, and the kind of point was made of what if Selig just come out and say, 
you know, he was never going to get the, the job. Um, but he's talking about it. And, and we made we made look with dicks. And the truth is, mate, I'd be buzzing with it. I don't Aye. mind looking like a dick. Um, I don't mind, you know, like if, if certain people want to believe that we've made it up because, A, we know that we haven't. But I, I don't really care how Celtic dress this up. See if that guy doesn't come in to that job. That is a major victory for the Celtic support. Um, and Celtic can spin it however the fuck they want. Um, it wasn't so long ago they were telling the Celtic support that Don McKay left his job for personal reasons, when we all know that to be, um, you know, utter horseshit. So it's certainly not, um, you know, it's, it's a tactic we know that they might use. They might, you know, lie and um, try and pull the bull over people's eyes. Personally, I wouldn't care either way. They can say whatever they want um, as long as he doesn't end up in the hot seat at Celtic Park, I'll be happy enough. Um, so we'll just need to keep an eye on it and the support will keep... As, as long as this issue goes on, the support will protest it. Do we think, mate, you know, just to kind of wrap up and bringing it back specifically to the North Club and to the, the sort of fan movement that we've got going on uh, within the block, do we think... Or sorry, what would you say... Obviously, the history surrounding the group and you know the Celtic support and what this guy's put a lot of people through. But him, if Celtic turn on the morrow and say, right, okay, Bernie Higgins is in, he's new head of security, what threat specifically would you think that's going to bring to you know the North Cove as a, as a group and as, a, as an organisation within the support? I think it's obvious it presents a threat to the, the North Cove and to that whole style of support, mate. Um, you know, you just need to look through his history. We've spoke a little bit about it uh, already tonight. Uh, but this is a guy whose professional career over the course of the last eight years or so um, has been focused around trying to target football fans and in particular trying to suppress the ultras movement across the country, particularly within Celtic. And, I mean, listen, we spoke about, you know, some of the daft things people were arrested for. Bernard Higgins went to the mainstream press and told journalists that he thought that football supporters um, should be arrested for uh, calling opposition fans baldy. So the idea that he's going to um, just accept our culture and our way of supporting the team is just farcical. You know, I, I, I think as well that it's difficult to argue um, that he's been, if he's brought in, I think it would be difficult to argue that he's been brought in despite all of this. You know, all the kind of negative traits, the authoritarianism, his attacks on the support. The only thing that would make logical sense to me is if he's brought in specifically because of that experience, because of that mindset, and because he's been expected to target us again, but this time come inside the club. So it's one of these things that we can discuss the history and the things that have gone on in the past and why absolutely him representing Celtic would be an insult to those fans who suffered um, at the under the hands of Police Scotland. Absolutely it would be. But never mind the insults, because that's bad enough, but he represents a major, major threat to Celtic supporters in the North Cove in particular going forward, which is why everyone who's listening to this podcast, everyone who's signed up to the North Cove, and everyone who buys into this way of support has a responsibility to stand up and be counted uh, to oppose this possible appointment.
nine times, mate, or nine times. But no, that, that's been good. And just to say, I think we'll wrap up there, mate, obviously, conscious of the time going on, and we don't want these sort of episodes or these uh, podcasts that we're doing running on too long, or boring every day for too long. Uh, nah, but no, just... One of these days you'll have me on to talk about something happy, mate. I know, mate, I know. We've been saying that for about five years now. <laughs> but no, big thanks, mate, again, for taking the time uh, to come on and speak with us. And a big thanks to everybody for tuning in again, as I gave a wee sort of uh, rundown on what's been happening North Curve-wise at the start of the episode. Big thanks to everybody for signing up. Uh, still to sign up, for, or if you're in the standing section and you're looking to sign up, keep your eye on the Twitter and all the usual channels and stuff, and, and you'll probably spy the boys and girls um, in the next home game as well. So, no, big thanks, guys, and hopefully it'll not be too long until we're back with you. So, cheers. <laughs>